0: Yeah, I'm not sure that you'll have enough um, card space for recording all this, uh, but Jacqueline was a lively little girl, and uh, she was born to us in Chicago, and she was always moving, always doing something, asking questions, um,
1: Very jabbering Very
0: everywhere. Loved to climb up on you, loved to cuddle up with you.
1: From being a really happy little girl with a lot of lively, she um, was diagnosed with some seizures beginning of her fourth year, age four. And it was right about that time when um, I noticed that uh, Jacqueline was really pale. And one particular night I noticed that she couldn't run. And that next day we were at a clinic and we were doing some blood work and I just asked them to run Jacqueline's blood, um, her hemoglobin, they were sticking fingers of our other children and um, her hemoglobin was extremely low to the point where they were wanting us to go straight to the emergency room. You know, as a parent, you really just really hope that they're gonna get better, and they were using really bad words like leukemia and several other blood diseases that were even worse than that. In December when they diagnosed her with leukemia, it was actually a really big relief when that phone call came. We didn't even really know all that that was, but that was better than the other diagnoses that they were going to
0: give. We said hallelujah when that came in, and they're like, what's wrong with you people? We're like, at least we know what's wrong.
2: So what I've been told is chemo treatments took two and a half years. It was in those moments I realized that not only did I need Jesus to save me physically and, you know, be the good doctor that I'd been told by my parents that he was, but I really needed him to save me spiritually too. So that's, I would say, the moment when I decided that I needed him to be the savior of my life.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest uh, question that we deal with as human beings is why does sickness come to people? Why do bad things happen to good people? That's the million dollar question. But ultimately, God was working out a plan where He could put us exactly where we needed to be. We could trust in Him. We could see His faithfulness, that He's consistent in His character, that His name really does matter.
2: put us in remission even though the cancer had been gone for a while that's when the treatment had officially been done and they said like at this point we're gonna keep an eye on you but you're
1: in the clear well I think that this illness has really shaped Jacqueline she loves people she loves the Lord she loves God's Word but she really loves people and I've I've learned that from her I'm really thankful for how God uh, has just enabled her to love people, and because of that, we're different. So not only has He redeemed her life physically from the sickness, but He's redeemed her life spiritually, and we give God credit and glory for all that He's done in her life.
2: In full confidence, I can tell you that our God is a healer, and I know that nothing is
1: impossible with Him or outside of His control. And The Lord is our healer. Sometimes He doesn't always heal like we'd like Him to. And going through this illness with Jacqueline, we saw many families that did not have the good news that we had. Many children, when we go through those cycles of treatment, they wouldn't come back because they did not survive. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have hope that He will completely heal us. The moment we leave this earth, the moment we breathe our last breath, He promises that we will be completely healed and we will live with Him forever with a new body fully restored just as He created us to be. So ultimately, He is the healer.
2: I'd like to share a song with you that has become the anthem for my life because it reminds me that God is greater than my circumstance. And when my gaze is fixed on Him instead of what I'm facing, He is all that I need.
3: Well, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know we're in a series called The Jesus Gallery, and we are looking at the stories Uh, about Jesus in the Gospels, because every story sort of paints a very special portrait of who Jesus is and what he does in our lives. And we're taking a look at some of the most profound pictures of Jesus Christ in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Today, we're going to be taking a look at Jesus as the healer. And to sort of set that up, I want to encourage you to kind of take a moment and inventory the stresses and difficulties in your life, Um, inventory the things that have been maybe even most difficult, so much so that you've sort of given up on your ability to do anything about it. And yet, these are things that are important enough to you that you're unwilling to just give up. So you know you can't fix it, but you're not ready to give up on it. Because those are problems in your life that have a huge platform for God's healing. As far as I can tell, in the Gospels, that when Jesus healed, it was always in that context. He always healed someone who had sort of given up on their ability to do anything about a problem, and yet it was so important to them, they weren't going to just flat out give up. And they were still searching for an answer. So whatever those issues are, in your life, I want you to hold tight to those as we talk today because I think this is very much gonna help. Because we are gonna talk about healing. And and I also just wanna mention, if you've been in church life for a long time or if you've been around religion, you've probably heard a lot of things about healing. As a matter of fact, it may make you feel a little bit uncomfortable because there's a little tension when it comes to the idea of Jesus healing someone. Because there are some people out there who will say that they think, based off of the Bible, that Jesus will heal anyone at any time of anything so long as you have enough faith and so long as there isn't major sin in your life. How many of you have heard that as long as you have enough faith, God will heal you of whatever your problem is? Right? That's pretty common. It's circulating around out there. There's just one problem with it, and that is that our own observation should tell us that's not true. The death statistics you know, they remain relatively unchanged. About one out of every one seems to die. So it's it's not feasible for us to assume from the Bible that God heals every one of everything at every time, and it's certainly regrettable and honestly very damaging to tell people that if somebody that they love wasn't healed, they just didn't have enough faith. Or if, somebody, if something bad happens to someone, that they must have some bad sin in their life. It's, it's regrettable, it's unfortunate, it's irresponsible, and it's very biblically uninformed. right? So because of that, we do know that God doesn't heal everyone every time of everything. But also we do know that sometimes God heals people. I think there's two questions that we ought to approach, very common sense questions that we're going to spend our time together today on. The first is, since God does heal some people, what motivates God to heal people? What moves the heart of God to heal an individual? That's one question. The other one, I think, is one that often sits at the back of our mind on this topic, and that is, what are we to think when the miracle doesn't come? How are we to interpret it When we have faith and we're praying that God's going to do something in this situation, and yet it doesn't seem like he does. So my promise to you is that in the little time that we're going to spend together this morning, we're going to tackle both of those questions. The first question, what motivates the heart of God to heal, we're going to spend most of our time on. We're going to look at four stories in the Gospels uh, that really help us kind of hone in on on four keys that motivate God's heart to heal. And then when we're done, before the end of the message, we'll talk about how should we think about it when the miracle doesn't come. Okay, so the first thing we're going to talk about is what motivates God to heal people. The first story that we're going to look at is in the book of John. Jesus had just returned to Jerusalem uh, for one of the Jewish holy days, and inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. Now why is that? Why is this sort of covered area with a, with a pool, why is it full of sick people? Well, the Bible tells us that there was a belief at the time. Now, the Bible sort of leaves it vague as to whether or not this belief was true or not, so we don't know. But there was a belief at the time that on a regular basis, an angel would get into the the pool and stir the waters, and the waters would appear to bubble up. And at that point, whoever was the first person in the water uh, would be healed of whatever was wrong with them. So you can imagine that suddenly became a very popular attraction for sick people. If you were sick or there was something wrong with you, everybody, I mean, it started to look like a doctor's waiting room. Everybody was showing up every day, hoping that they would win the race and get to the pool before everybody else did. And so there was a man there. He'd been lying there. He'd been sick for 38 years. That's a long time. Some of y'all are going to resent me for bragging about this, but I'm not even 38 years old. <laughs> That'll happen in July. Um, But 38 years is a long time. I want to ask you a question. How many of you in this room would say that at some point in your life, even if it was just for a few days, at some point in your life, you were very sick? At some point, I was very sick in my life, right? Okay, so I want you to imagine when you were very sick and then just broaden that out for 38 years. Can you imagine what it would be like to be that unhealthy for that length of time? So Jesus saw him, and he knew he'd been ill for a long time, and he asked him a weird question. He asked him, would you like to get well? Well, that's strange. Of course, somebody who's been sick for 38 years, of course they want to get well. Why wouldn't they want to get well? Obviously they want to get well. That's a very weird question. But Jesus asked it because he knew the guy he was dealing with. And he understood that he was going to get a weird answer. Do you want to see what it is? Jesus says, do you want to get well? Look at what the man says back to him. He says, I can't. He's looking into the eyes of the Son of God, the great physician, the great healer. And the great healer asks him, would you like to be well? And he says, I can't. He says, "Uh, I don't have anybody to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Who am I talking to in this room this morning? That you've got a problem. It's over your head. It's more than what you know how to deal with. You haven't given up on it yet. And you see a solution it's very clear, if this could happen, it would fix it. If I would get that raise, it would fix it. If, if my kid would get back into that Bible study and away from the friends that they're hanging out with now, that would fix it. And we have this sort, of, this sort of avenue of healing that we're locked into. If only this would happen, everything would be better. And we are so close to it, we can almost touch it, we can almost taste it. If we could just get past the barrier that's blocking us from this one thing that we know would make everything better. And we're so, we have the blinders on so much and our our focus is so narrow that if Jesus was to walk up to us and say, would you like this area healed in your life? We'd say, well, I can't be healed and I'll give you all the reasons why the, the path to healing is blocked. If I were to walk up to you today and say, would you like your finances to be better? You'd say, Jonathan, our finances can't be better. Let me explain to you all the problems that we, let me explain to you all the reasons why it can't be better. If I was to ask you, would you like your marriage to be better? Well, Jonathan, our marriage can't be better. Let me explain to you all the reasons why. All the things that are blocking me from the path of healing that I can see. But you have to understand, Jesus can heal somebody any way that he wants to. And when we get locked into one path, what happens is we begin to believe that we can't be healed. And that is a huge faith drain. The faith gets sucked out of our lives when we come to the belief that we can't be healed. He says, I can't. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus said, we're just gonna do this a different way. You're hoping I'm gonna pick you up and go take you over to the pool. I'm not gonna take you to the pool. I'm gonna heal you right now, standing right here. I'm just gonna tell you to get up and walk. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping bag, his sleeping mat, and began walking. Well, that's a fast story. Like a lot of stories in the gospel, it just if you're reading through, it just flies past you. But I think there are a couple of really important things that we need to learn about how the heart of God is motivated to heal. From this short story. The first is this I think the first thing we're supposed to learn is that getting well may mean taking a different approach. I may have to be open to the fact that God may not want to heal me the way that I want to be healed. I've yet to find a story in the scripture of Jesus asking somebody how they wanted him to heal them. You know, I mean, Jesus healed people in his way, and sometimes his way was weird. I mean, sometimes his way was telling a guy with leprosy to go take a bath in a really muddy lake. Sometimes his way was taking mud up from the ground and spitting in it and putting it in a guy's eyes to make him see again. Well, that's gross. And it's a little weird, but God always heals people on his terms. He always heals the way he's going to do it. So when we get locked into one pathway, well, that can keep us from being healed. i My wife and I work in uh, the married life ministry here at New Spring. We love it. My wife uh, sees ladies who will come in and and, uh, ask for life coaching for their marriage. And uh, I work with men and with couples. And um, so a lady will come in and talk with Wendy. And and they'll, they'll be talking through issues with their marriage. And Wendy will say, well, why don't you and your husband both come in to see Jonathan? Oh, no, he doesn't want to come to counseling. We've talked about it. He just doesn't want to come to counseling at all. And I know this guy, not this guy particularly, but I understand this guy, because this is a guy who's very kind and polite to me, very respectful. If we were to see each other on a weekend, he'd put his arm around me. Hey, Jonathan, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. And if I were to ask him, hey, would you like your marriage to be better? Oh, Jonathan, yeah, it really needs to be better. We're struggling. Okay. Well, why don't you come in for some coaching? You and your wife come in together. Well, I don't know about that. No, I've been reading blogs. That's been helping a lot. Um. I come to church on the weekends. I hear you and Mark talk. That's helpful. I, I you know, I, I make sure to come when you guys are talking on marriage. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure that we're. I'm pretty sure that that's all that we need to do. What I'm hearing is from a person who's saying, "I've got my avenue of healing, and so long as we can keep it in my avenue, everything is fine." But if 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 getting healing means I've got to step out of my comfort zone and be in a different lane, well, I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm up for that. That getting well may mean taking a different approach. I may have to be open to God showing me that there's a way that's potentially even outside my comfort zone for an area of my life to be healed. Well, now that's a big one, but I wanna show you an even bigger truth that I think is right in the middle of this story, and that is that getting well means a different life. It means a different life. That's why Jesus needed him to answer whether or not he wanted to be well, because think about this guy's life. He's, you know, been sick for 38 years. For 38 years, somebody comes to where he's staying in the morning, picks him up, carries him to the pool of Bethesda, sets him down. People give him food, give him money, uh, because he's a beggar and he's not doing anything. He's just sitting there by this pool and the covered porches and, um, very sick, obviously, but his life is kind of based off of everyone around him accommodating him to help him, which they should have done. They're giving him aid. They're giving him help. But Jesus knows, if I heal this guy, nobody's going to show up tomorrow morning to carry him to the pool of Bethesda. uh, Nobody's going to show up at the end of the day to carry him home, and nobody's going to give him money, and nobody's going to give him food. If I heal this guy, he's going to have to get up. He's going to have to get a job. He's going to have to start working. He's going to have to experience the responsibility of having been healed. See, being healed means new responsibility. If God restores to to a place of functioning what was once broken in my life, then that means that there's going to be an expectation that I function with that new functionality that God has given me. Whatever God has brought me back into health with, that is now in his service. I need to do something with what God has given me. So yeah, it was absolutely reasonable for Jesus to ask, do you really want to be healed? Because it meant, number one, I'm going to, Jesus is saying, I'm going to do this my way if you want to be healed. We're not going to do this your way. And number two, you're going to have a different life on the other side of this. So the first thing that we need to get straight, if we want to motivate the heart of God to heal, the first thing is we need to ask ourselves, do I really want to be well? Is that, is that my main goal? Am I willing to be flexible with everything else so long as I can be well? Am I willing to be humble and to lean into whatever it is that God has for me? Now, there's probably a lot of people in this room who are saying, yeah, Jonathan, absolutely. That's where I am. I have a humble heart. I want to do whatever God leads me to do, and I want to do it his way. Okay, well, if that's the case, let's go on to the next thing. So we're going to look at the next story, which is in the book of Mark. Jesus is teaching, and one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. Very important that it says that, and we'll see why in a second. I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. This poor kid was struggling terribly with seizures. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked who? Your disciples to heal him, and they couldn't. Did you notice the weird disparity there? I came so you would heal him, and I asked your disciples, why did you do that? We're going to see in a minute that this dad struggles a little bit with faith, and welcome to the club, so do I, but he struggles a little bit with faith, so he's a little bit of a toe-tester. You know what I'm talking about, like when you take your kids, like, you know, at my age, I I still have kids living at home, you know when you go to a hotel, if there's a pool at the hotel, there's some sort of unwritten law in the parental, parental obligation that you have to take your kids to the pool in the hotel, no matter how, you know, small and disgusting it looks, I gotta take my kids to this pool, Right? And you know, because you've lived long enough to know, that this pool might be about 36 degrees Fahrenheit. So while your kids are jumping in and having a great time, you're over there kind of dipping your toe, trying to decide, does God want me to get in this water or not, you know? Um, Well, that's the way this guy was with his faith. Maybe this will work. I don't know. I'll try it. I'll I'll give this a shot. I'm not going to put all my eggs in that basket, but I'm going to give it a shot. Maybe this will work. I'll try that. Maybe this will work. I'll try that. You know, when it comes to our everyday life, there's nothing wrong with testing this and testing that and testing this, but we don't test God. The, the, the problem, the, I think the problem with having very little faith is we sort of step our toe in a little bit with God. God, I don't know. Maybe this is the right thing. Maybe it's not the right thing. Maybe you can help. Maybe you can't help. I don't know. I'm just going to try it out and see. God's not a magic act. He's not a lucky rabbit's foot. It's not something that we should use to just put us over the edge. We shouldn't go, oh, and also I'm going to pray about this, and hopefully it'll sort of just put it over the edge and everything will work out. No, we need to, we need to pray in faith that God is going to do something. I will say that's difficult for me because faith isn't an easy thing for me. And yet this story very much says that we need to be able to pray in faith, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. Jesus said to them, "How You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Go ahead and, and let's, let's, quit around, let's quit with all this toe testing. Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, Since he was a little boy. The Spirit often throws him into the fire, into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. If you can. I don't know. I'm not sure. But I showed up because I thought maybe, perhaps, if, if everything aligns correctly, maybe you would do something about it. Maybe you can do something about it. I don't know. I want you to watch Jesus' response very carefully. He says, what do you mean if? What do you mean, if I can? Why, why did you come if you're going to ask me, if I can? He said, anything is possible if a person believes. And the father instantly cried out, which I love this because this is a heart of honesty, right? This is from the gut, from the heart. The father says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And can I just raise my hand and put myself in that same category? I do believe, but there are moments where I need God to help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. And the boy appeared to be dead. So people started talking and they started saying he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. Another short story. Again, it would just fly by if you're reading through the gospels, but there's some very, very important truths here. The first truth that we really need to embrace in this story is that it is normal to be pulled between faith and doubt. It's normal to be pulled between faith and doubt. That's part of being, that's part of the human condition. Because there's always going to be questions that we don't have every answer to. That is the grounds for doubt. And yet there are always going to be things we can't explain, which is the grounds for faith. So yeah, it is normal to be pulled between faith and doubt. The issue is, you must decide which will win. This is where this father was struggling. He felt passive in this, right? There's this tug of war on the inside of him going between faith and doubt and he feels like he's passive. There's nothing he can do about it. And what God is trying to remind us is you get to decide which side you pull for and whichever side you pull for is gonna win this tug of war. You're either going to have to put your eggs in the basket of faith and recognize that there will be some questions to which you do not have answers, or you're going to put your eggs all in the basket of doubt, in which case you're going to be facing every day big realities right in your face that you do not have an answer to the question of how that exists. So we said that the, the first thing that we need to do is we need to look inside and ask ourselves, do we really want to be well? But the second thing that we have to do is we have to ask ourselves, can we pray in faith? And I want to show you quickly before we, before we get to this key, I want to show you Hebrews 11, where the Bible says, it is impossible to please God without faith, which by the way means that the opposite must be true, correct? If it's impossible to please God without faith, then that means that it is possible to please God with faith, right? Right? Anyone who wants to come to him must believe two things. Number one, that God exists. And secondly, that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So instead of you know, putting our toe into the water, we're saying, God, I'm coming to you because I know you exist and because I know that you want to do good things in my life. So as a result of that, we've got to quit, quit praying if you can prayers. It's time to cut that out. We need to quit praying if you can prayers and we need to start praying because you can prayers. Instead of saying, if you can help us in our financial situation, we should be praying, because you can help us in our financial situation. Instead of saying, if you can help this wayward child get back to you, we should be saying, because you can help this wayward child come back to you. Instead of saying, if you can save this marriage or rescue this marriage, we should be praying, because you can rescue this marriage. At a certain point, we've gotta say, you know, I'm gonna come to the God of the creation with faith. I don't understand everything, but I'm a human being. I'm never gonna understand everything. But what I do know is that God can do anything, so I'm gonna come to Him and say, God, because you can, I'm asking you to do this. I'm not demanding that God do this. I'm not claiming that God. There's some other things that have sort of ricocheted off the walls of Christianity over the years that said somehow I can come to the throne of grace and demand that God do something. I can I can speak a word of faith and claim that God is going to do something for me. Please understand, there is no human being that demands that God do anything. He's the ultimate sovereign of the universe, and there's no human being that can can set his agenda for the day, that can tell him what to do. No, what we do is we ask. We come before God and say, I know you can do something here. I'm asking you to do it. With my limited perspective, which is limited way beyond what God has. God can see sometimes. I mean, sometimes my prayer is not going to have the answer that I want because God can see so much more than I can see. But I come to him with my limited perspective and say, God, based off of what limited perspective I have, I'm saying, I know you can do something here and I'm asking you to do it. Instead of if you can, it's a because you can prayer. Which, by the way, growing up, I've always prayed prayers that are, that are kind of go like this. God, if it's your will... And then blah, 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 fill in the blank. It's a wonderful prayer to pray for a couple reasons. One is that God tells us through his word that we should pray if God wills. So basically we're saying it's, it's a good thing to say, God, if it's your will, I want this to happen because it sort of aligns our will with God's will, which is wonderful. Also in the Lord's Prayer, it says that we should pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the fact that I was praying that prayer was not bad. What was bad was that those were the words coming out of my mouth, Coming out of my mouth was, God, if it's your will, do this. But what was happening in my head was, God, if you can do something, do this. It was almost a cop-out. To pray that prayer that way was almost a cop-out to say, I don't really know if you can do something, but I'm asking if you can. So now I'm having to teach myself to pray, because you can do this, if it's your will, please do this. Because he can't. I'm going to quickly move to the third story. In the third story, they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. That was an understatement. How many of you have actually been to a real honest-to-goodness Black Friday sale? And before you raise your hands... I'm not talking about one of these new Black Friday sales where everybody gets a ticket and stands orderly in line. I'm not talking about where there's these stage times where if you want this item, you come at 2 o'clock in the morning, and you want this item, you come at 4 o'clock in the morning. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean one of the Black Friday sales that used to happen when there was a real literal chance you would be trampled to death. How many of you have been to a real Black Friday sale? Okay. So I want you to take your image of what that was like and think about this in terms of Jesus' ministry because it's what it looked like. People knew that Jesus could heal people, so wherever Jesus went, people just flooded in. There really was danger of somebody getting hurt because people were just flooding in, and Jesus is now surrounded 360 degrees by people. And that's what was happening here. And so a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. But the people around him yelled, be quiet. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Why did they say cheer up? So I think Bartimaeus was crying. I think there were tears coming down old blind Bartimaeus' face. Because I think he thought Jesus had passed and was never coming back. He heard the big crowd move by and he thought it was all over. But Jesus heard him. I'm talking to somebody in this room that you think it's over. You're pretty sure that your circumstance is irrevocable, cannot be rescued. Nothing can be done about it. It feels like Jesus has passed by you and he's decided he's not going to do anything about it. And yet the story tells us that even when we think God didn't hear, he did hear. And Jesus calls for Bartimaeus and they come and they tell him, come on, he's calling you. And Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, which as a beggar was probably the only possession of any value that he had jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. Rabbi, the blind man said, I just want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Well, there's some symbolism in the New Testament when Jesus heals someone of their blindness. Because there's the picture of blindness being living in darkness, The Bible tells us that that's what it's like for us before we come to know Jesus Christ. We live in darkness. We stumble around. We don't have clarity. And there's this moment when when Jesus heals someone of their blindness. There's this moment of symbolism where the darkness comes to the light and the light overcomes the darkness. That's a theme in the Bible. And there is healing. Here's what's so great about Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus didn't care what anybody thought. It was was not something that he was embarrassed about or ashamed of. All he cared about, all he cared about was getting his darkness to the light. Because he knew if he could get his darkness to the light, the light would conquer the darkness and he would be healed. And what I love about it is that at the end of this story, Bartimaeus is healed and what does he do? He starts following Jesus. That's the reason that, that most of you are in this room is because there was a time when you recognized that you were living in darkness and you came to Jesus and the light overcame the darkness and you started following him. You were inspired to follow him and that's why you're here today. So what do we take from the story of Bartimaeus? Well, first we take the fact that often healing means bringing what is in the darkness into the light. And I think we get that. We all recognize that if if we're able to bring to the light those things that embarrass us, those skeletons that hide in the closet, that we would be better off. But I think the other thing that this story teaches us is that there will always be voices that pressure you to keep your brokenness in the dark. Just as people were telling Bartimaeus to shut up. There's some things in your life telling you, shut up. Shame tells you to shut up. People are going to think badly of you. They're going to think something's wrong with you. Shut up. You could lose something. Imagine what you would lose if people knew this about you. Shut up. Maybe it's even a real person in your life that doesn't like all this Jesus business in your life and doesn't like the fact that you're trying to get your life right and they're telling you to shut up. But you know what Bartimaeus said? I don't care who tells me to shut up. All I know is that I need light in my life. And that's why we're saying that the third thing that we need to do, if we want to make it likely that God brings healing to our life, is we need to bring what is broken to the light. To be able to bring the embarrassing and difficult and challenging and sinful parts of our life before the God of the universe and say, I haven't been able to fix this. If I'd been able to fix it, it would have been fixed by now. But I'm asking you to heal this. I'm asking you to help me. I'm bringing this to the light. The fourth story is probably my favorite story in Scripture. It's very very close if it's not my favorite. And it's in the book of Mark. Jesus is teaching. And once again, there's a huge crowd around him. And a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She'd suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she'd gotten no better. As a matter of fact, she'd gotten worse. She'd heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized that once the healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? Well, these are the kinds of infuriating questions that Jesus would ask the disciples. You know, there's tons and tons of people around him. Everybody's touching him. And he asked the disciples to give an account for who just touched me, right? Just as he would ask the disciples, how are you going to feed these thousands of people? And nobody brought any food, right? So the disciples are getting a little agitated. And they say to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? Because everybody touched you. But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Question. Why did she think that by touching Jesus' robe she would be healed? That's kind of an odd conclusion to jump to. Everybody else isn't trying to touch his robe. Everybody else is trying to get in his eyeline, you know, so they can talk to him about what needs healing in their lives. But this lady, on, she's directly going to touch his robe. Why? Well, in order to understand that, we have to look at the Bible that she was used to hearing from. She didn't have your Bible. She didn't have the New Testament. The New Testament was in the process of happening. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were happening in real time. So she didn't have that. She had what we would call the Old Testament. She'd go to the temple and hear the readings from the Old Testament. The last chapter of her Bible, the second verse, reads this way. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Well, it sounds kind of bird-like. He's going to rise with healing in his wings. But that's not what it means in the Hebrew. The word that gets translated wings here actually means the edge of something. And almost always the edge of a piece of fabric. The edge of a bedsheet, The edge of a garment. And specifically, it was used to um, describe the edges of a robe. The edges of a man's robe were called the wings of the robe. So here's what happened. Here's a lady who wasn't just going to see the doctors. She did go to see the doctors, but she also was going to see the creator. She was going to the temple and she was listening and she was soaking it in and she was taking in what God's word said. And she remembered this statement that there would be healing in the fringes of his robe. Now here's my question to you. Did God mean that literally? Did God mean literally that there would be healing in the fringes of his robe? I have no idea. But I do know this, I do know that when one, when one lady took him literally, God decided to make good on it. When she decided, am going to I don't know everything about this passage, but it sounds very much to me like there's healing in his robe. So I'm making a beeline for that. And I can just imagine as this lady gets down and crawls on all fours and sort of snaking her way between the legs of other people until she finally gets to Jesus and reaches out and grabs his robe and experiences that healing. pastor no pastor, I don't understand everything about the Bible. I don't understand everything about all of God's promises. But you know what? That doesn't keep me from opening up God's word and saying, God, it appears to me from what you're saying here that you're saying you might do something here and I'm asking you, can I take you literally on this? Can I take you literally on this so that he understands that, that I'm saying, I've got faith that you can do what I believe this says you can do. I don't understand everything about it, but I have faith that you can do this. See, God has moved. The heart of God has moved when his kids take him seriously and trust him intensely enough to motivate our actions to reach out to him and say god you could heal me of this you could heal my family you could heal my marriage you could heal my finances you could heal my kid well we're almost out of time but i told you i was going to approach a different question at the end very important question and that question is what are we to think as christians what are we to think when the miracle doesn't come when the miracle doesn't come, I use that phrase intentionally because seven years ago, I was at Edmonds First Baptist Church. Um, excuse me, 12, 12 years ago, I was at Edmonds First Baptist Church, 2007. That's why the number seven stood out to me. And my pastor, Dr. Allen Day, preached a message called When the Miracle Doesn't Come. He preached it because as a church, we were grieving. We had a wonderful executive pastor at that church, just as we have a wonderful executive pastor here. John was somebody that everybody in the church loved. I mean, he was just a fantastic guy. He was very muscular and big. You wouldn't want to mess with John. Uh, he had played on the OU championship football team when he was back in college, um, but just a big teddy bear. He had the softest heart of anybody that I, that I knew and a real heart for ministry. He was a great businessman, a great pastor. You need both of those to be a great executive pastor, and he was. Um, I had just been, his, been in his office the previous week signing paperwork because I was starting to work at that church at that time. Um... And, you know, we were rocking on as we usually do at church staff and all of that. And then all of a sudden on a Thursday night, John finished his regular workout. He was 50 years old at the time. He was my dad's age, 50 years old. He finished his workout and he went to the locker room to go change and he had a massive heart attack. Well, as you can imagine, I mean, think about what would happen at this church if something happened to one of our pastors. I mean, our whole church started praying immediately, of course we did, and we were sharing it with everybody on social media and trying to network with everybody that we could to pray for John and wanted John to to make it and On top of all that, EFBC was kind of like Newspring in the sense that at EFBC we had tons of medical professionals in our in our church, so we had some of the best heart surgeons in the city that attended our church. And so when the call came out that John was headed to the Oklahoma Heart Hospital, um, some of the finest surgeons in the area were there to meet his gurney. They knew him personally and were willing to do anything that they could to try to save his life. And we held in faith that God was gonna do something for John. I mean, how many 50-year-olds do you hear about that have a heart attack and survive? I mean, a lot. And we really believed that he was gonna be okay. And then we all got the call that he didn't make it. Left behind young kids. It just, it just didn't seem right. We prayed. We had faith. We thought that God was going to do something here, and now we're all attending his funeral. I remember standing next to that casket in that cavernous auditorium there in Edmond, and, and looking at John in that box and thinking to myself, this wasn't supposed to be how this was in. This, this wasn't how the ending was supposed to be he was supposed to get better. He was supposed to have surgery. Get up off of that hospital bed in a couple weeks and be good as new. I don't understand. Why, why did God let it in like this? Well, in order to approach that, we need to go to a story in the book of John. Jesus had three friends in the city of Bethany that were very important to him. Lazarus and then his sisters, Mary and Martha. And the Bible tells us that at one point, Lazarus got very sick. Well, Mary and Martha knew that Jesus healed people. And on top of that, Jesus was a personal friend. So they send message out to Jesus, hey, Lazarus is sick, you need to come back and heal him. And they certainly anticipated he would do it. But time started marching on. Lazarus was getting sicker and Jesus wasn't showing up. Martha was a lady of great faith. I think that she thought that Jesus would show up at the last minute. Okay, it's looking pretty bad right now, but Jesus is gonna show up at the last minute and he's gonna heal him and everything's gonna be better and we'll all praise God for this amazing thing that's happened and then Lazarus breathed his last breath. Boy, you want to talk about reality sinking in. In those days, the family would prepare the body for burial, imagining, assuming that Jesus was going to come back and heal Lazarus completely, and now they're having to wrap him up and get ready to put him in a, a tomb. And the anger that was sort of growing in Martha, that why could Jesus heal everybody else, but he wasn't here to heal Lazarus? So Jesus shows back up, and keep in mind, Martha's kind of upset, and because Martha has no filter... She says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, Martha has no filter, so she said what a lot of us think. We just don't say it out loud. If God had only been here, this wouldn't have happened to my coworker. This wouldn't have happened to my sister. This wouldn't have happened to my parents. This wouldn't have happened to my friend's kid who was in an accident. If God had been here, God, where were you? You were supposed to show up, and you didn't do your thing. You didn't do the God thing where you show up and make it all better. She says, but even now now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And watch how Martha kind of downplays this. Yeah, 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 I know. He'll rise when everybody else rises at the last day. And Jesus said, you don't get this, do you? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, a person who believes in me will live even after dying. As a matter of fact, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Well, the Greek language allows us to do some things that the English language doesn't allow us to do. In math, you can take a three and put a bar over it, which means what? That that three just keeps on going out into infinity, right? In Greek, you can do that with a word. You can designate that that word just keeps on going. So, what this passage actually says is everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever, 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 ever on into infinity die. What is Jesus saying? Jesus saying, You think Lazarus is dead. I'm telling you, Lazarus is healed. Let me ask you a question. What happened to everybody that Jesus healed on this planet? What happened to everybody that Jesus healed on earth? The people that he gave their sight back to, the people that he helped walk again, the people that he raised back from the dead, including Lazarus. Eventually, they got sick again and they died. If you think about it, every healing that we read about from Jesus in the Gospels was a temporary healing. He healed them temporarily, but sickness was still coming for them. Death was still coming for them. Yeah, if I get sick, do I want God to heal me? Absolutely, I do. But if God heals me in my sickness, guess what? Another sickness is eventually coming for me. If God m- m- intervenes in my life so that I might have been in an accident, but somehow God intervenes so that, that car, the cars don't pass at, the, at that exact moment and my life is saved, is that wonderful? It's fabulous, except for the fact that someday something is going to happen to me and I am going to die. And Jesus is saying, I, I think you've lost focus here on what's important. You've now become focused on temporary healing when you don't understand the main thing I came here for was to make permanent healing a reality. The Bible says that by his stripes we are healed. That has nothing to do with physical healing. The stripes that Jesus bore when he was whipped on, uh, before he went to the cross, they weren't healing us from you know, our, our physical problems. They were healing us from our spiritual problems so that we could go to heaven someday with him. Listen, Jonathan is a messed up person. The only way I get into heaven is if I'm healed into heaven. And yet... When I step off this planet and I go directly to the presence of Jesus, I'm going to experience what real healing is. I'm not going to have any physical problems anymore. I'm not going to have any emotional problems anymore. I'm not going to have any relational problems anymore. I'm going to experience life as God designed me to live it. And believe me, that is number one on God's agenda, is permanent healing for Jonathan. Temporary healing for Jonathan is is down the list a bit. And as a matter of fact, I would say that I think, generally speaking, God temporarily heals people just to prove that he can permanently heal people. I think that's the goal. He wants to remind us that he can permanently heal people. So when he temporarily heals somebody, we'll look at that and remember that that is what God is doing on this planet. So that when I stand in front of my friend John, right, in that casket, I can say, it looks like it's all over, but the truth is it's all just started. He was just healed. I could go to Grace Lawn Cemetery tomorrow in Oklahoma and stand at John's Tombstone and have somebody else there say, see, look, God didn't heal him when he had the chance. And I'm saying, see, look, God healed him when he was 50. He only lived till he was 50. And then immediately he stepped into the presence of Jesus and he started really living. And someday I'm going to get to see him and I'm going to be healed too. I say that because someday they'll have my funeral. I hope you come. I, I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be a good time. <laughs> I hope it is a good time, right? May even happen in this room. Who knows? And you know, everybody, they'll, they'll put me in one of those ugly boxes And people come walk by and people say stuff like, oh, he looks so lifelike. They lie, you know. (laughs) You have my explicit permission to tell the person behind you in line that, you know, he doesn't look lifelike to me. He looks dead. (laughs) Fine with me. Just also remember to say he's healed now. He's healed now. Because everything that was broken about him isn't broken anymore. Everything that was sick about Jonathan isn't sick anymore. Everything that was painful in Jonathan's life isn't painful anymore. That's what it's about. So I want you to remember this. When you're struggling with the question of why didn't God show up, can I give you this to keep in your hip pocket? Temporary healing is wonderful, and it is, but permanent healing is heaven. Temporary healing is fabulous, it's wonderful, and I hope you experience a lot of it in your life, but permanent healing is where it's at. Permanent healing is heaven. See, the main goal that God has in this universe is to have a relationship with you. And when our relationship broke up, when our first ancestors chose the dark side, God's entire mission on this planet has been about healing. Yes, do we see little pieces of it in physical healing or do we see little pieces of it in healing that happens in this world that's temporary? Absolutely, but I'll tell you what, the number one thing God is about is permanent healing of that relationship so that we can be with him forever and ever in heaven someday. So I have to ask you as we close out our time, Are you sure that you know Jesus? Are you sure that you have that healing? I'm gonna ask you just for a moment to bow your heads and close your eyes. I know we're in overtime, but we're gonna be done in just a second. I'm gonna say the words to a very simple prayer. And if you wanna start a relationship with Jesus this morning, let's do that right now. I'm gonna say the words to this prayer. You can follow along. You don't have to say it out loud. You can just say this silently in your heart to God. If you're ready, here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I believe you rose again. And I believe you have the power to save me. Now I know I do wrong things. And I know I can't get to heaven on my own. Today I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. I believe in you, Jesus. Thank you for healing me. In Jesus' name. Everybody look this way for just a minute. I know everybody's gonna be in a hurry to get out, but just for a second before we all leave, if you just prayed that prayer, we want you to do something for us. Would you take that talk to us card that's right in front of you in the seat back and just check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ. Take it to guest services. They have a box they wanna give you to help you get started on your new journey with Christ. Thanks so much for being here this week. Next week, we'll continue on in the Jesus Gallery.